Well, thank you very much indeed for the invitation uh, to be here today uh, and for the, the welcome. Uh, it really is a, a privilege uh, for me to uh, share with you in your, your service uh, today. I do want to thank you too as a church for all your support for the work of the association over many, many years. Um, uh, really, the church here in Windsor has been very faithful, very generous uh, in your financial support, very faithful in your prayer support, uh, particularly support for missions and college. You're very involved in all of those. And uh, some of the members here and previous pastors too have uh, made an enormous contribution uh, to the work of our association. Some of you who may be newer to the church here may not uh, be uh, just as aware of that as others, but really this church here has uh, made an immense contribution to the life of our association, and we're very, very thankful for that, and I want to thank you for that uh, today. Um, now I'd like uh, to turn uh, God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to just read a, a couple of verses uh, from verse 25 uh, to 27. Um, in the New Testament, we have a number of different pictures of the church. Uh, I suppose the church is uh, sometimes described as being like a body. Sometimes it's like a building, a spiritual house, the temple uh, of God. Sometimes it's described as being like a family. Sometimes it's like a flock. Uh, Jesus is the, the chief shepherd, and we are the members of his flock. But I want this morning to look at another picture of the church, which we find here in Ephesians 5. Paul is writing uh, about the relationships uh, within uh, the family. He's talking about husbands and wives. And in doing that, he uh, describes uh, uh, Christ as, the, as, the, as like the husband, and the church is his wife or his bride. Uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus comes upon the scene and he begins his public ministry, he describes himself as being like the bridegroom. The Old Testament prophets, a number of them, had described the relationship between God and Israel as that between a, a faithful husband and an unfaithful wife. So here is this picture of the church as the bride of Christ, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's read Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Why bother with church? I think that's a question that maybe more and more Christians are asking themselves today. They wonder, well, can I not be a Christian uh, without actually getting involved in a church. I like Jesus. I love Jesus. I believe in Him. I trust in Him as my Savior. But I'm not really so sure about 
the church. I mean, this came home to me a, a couple of weeks ago. I met up to have a cup of coffee with an old friend from school. We've known one another for like over 50 years. He's a fine Christian man. We were involved in Scripture Union and so on at school. And over the years, he has been involved in a number of different churches. But when I was talking to him the other week, he said that he no longer went to church that his experience of church life over the years had been that it was difficult, it was frustrating, and it was even hurtful. And he's not alone, I think, in that experience. I think, you know, others experience that too. And so what he was saying, on one level, I think it was really quite understandable. And so, as I, I listened to him, um, yes, uh, I felt that at, at that particular moment, what he needed was uh, sympathy and understanding, not rebuke. But what kept coming into my mind as he was saying this to me were really these verses here. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so, if Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, what really should be our attitude to the church of Jesus Christ? So, I'm probably preaching to you the sermon that maybe I ought to have preached to him on that occasion, but somehow or other, Nero's coffee shop didn't seem just to be the appropriate place for that. But I want us this morning then to, to look at this question, why bother with the church? And my answer is because it is the bride of Christ. And Christ's love for the church can be seen, I think, in first of all, what He has done for the church, what He is doing for the church, and what He will do for the church. So that's where we're going as we look at these few verses. So first of all, <clears throat> Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. This is what Christ has done for the church. He gave Himself up for her. You know, He left the glory of heaven and He came down. He came down. He came down. He left aside His majesty, all the splendor of His glory. He came down, born in a stable in Bethlehem, grew up in the little village of Nazareth, spent all those years in obscurity at work in the carpenter's shop. And then He trod the, the hills of Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom. He walked the streets of Jerusalem in the temple courts, and he died outside the city in the hill at Calvary. He gave himself up. He came down, and he suffered, and he died for the church. That is for you and me, for each one of us who trust in Him as our Savior. He came down, and He did this for us. I mean, this is the measure of His love. It's a sacrificial love. 
in which he gave himself. There was nothing more that he could give. He gave himself to death on the cross. And December 1936, King Edward VIII, I suppose, startled the, the nation when he announced his abdication. He uh, broadcast on radio to explain that he was giving up uh, the throne uh, for the woman that he loved. He'd only been king for, I think, less than a year, 327 days, and yet he had decided that he would give that up for the woman that was going to be his bride. And a few months later, he married Mrs. Wallace Simpson. He gave up the throne for the woman that he loved. But Jesus gave up his life for his bride, the church. There's a, a hymn, The Church is One Foundation, and the second verse it goes, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. This is what Christ has done for the church. We can see how much he loved her. We can see how much he loved us, each one of us, in that he gave himself up for us by dying on the cross. But then secondly, we can see what Christ is doing for the church. Because it said he gave himself up for her to make her holy. cleansing her by washing with water through the Word. He gave Himself up for her. That's what He has done for her. But He's done it for a purpose. And what is that purpose? That purpose is to make her holy. Now, that, that doesn't mean, uh, and you could be, I think, forgiven if you uh, thought this, but it doesn't mean to make her odd. You know, sometimes I think people equate holiness with just being a bit odd. Now, I think it does mean being different, yes. That's the, the root of the matter. It is a matter of being different. But when Jesus wants to make us holy, what He wants to do is to change us into His likeness, to change us in our character and our conduct to become more like Him the perfect man, truly human, not to make us less human, but as to make us the human being that we were created to be, to change us more and more into His likeness, to be loving and faithful and pure and humble and honest and trustworthy and generous and kind and courageous. That's what He, he, he wants to do. That's His great purpose. That's what He wants to see happening in each of our lives. That's what He wants to see happening to, to us together as members of a church, to become holy like Him, which when it is seen for what it is, is beautiful and attractive and wonderful. He accepts us as we are. 
Yes, we, we can come to him just as we are, with all our faults and feelings, with all our mistakes, with all our sin, with all our rebellion, with all our disobedience. We can come to him just as we are. But he loves us so much that he won't let us remain as we are. He begins that work in us as we respond uh, to his word, uh, as we respond to the work of his spirit in our lives. He begins that work of transformation to make us holy. I think there's a, a tremendous illustration of this in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, where the prophet there describes Israel as being like an unwanted, abandoned child. And God is like the, 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 the man who comes along and he discovers this child, this newborn child, lying there, unwashed, unfed, unloved, rejected, and, uh, and, and God the Father comes and he finds the child and he uh, washes it and he bathes it and he cleans it and he feeds and clothes and protects and defends until this unabandoned, unwanted child turns into a beautiful young woman who's then unfaithful to him. You probably know the, you know, the play by George Bernard Shaw, Pygmalion. You, know, you might have had to study it at school or something like that, or seen the musical My Fair Lady, and you know, there's Professor Henry Higgins, and he finds this young Cockney flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, and he has a bet with someone that he can uh, you know, pass her off as a duchess at the ambassador's uh, dinner party, and so he sets to work to change her you know, to improve her manners, to improve her appearance, to improve her speech, so that she'll look like and sound like and behave like a duchess. But the change is all on the outside. It's all superficial. It's only a veneer. But what Christ wants to see in His church, that is in you and me, He wants to see us changed from the inside out, to become holy. You know, this is the purpose of his love, and, and you know, we, we are often slow to change. We're often disobedient and stubborn and faithless and ungrateful. But nevertheless, he remains patient and committed, and faithful, and He never gives up on any one of us, no matter how disappointing we may be to Him. He never gives up on us. He has this great purpose for us. He wants to make us holy, and He's patient. And if He is patient with us, should we not be patient with one another? 
I mean, sometimes, sometimes we do find people, other people, difficult, frustrating, and even hurtful. But they're a work in progress, just as we are. The church is always a work in progress. It's always unfinished, imperfect, incomplete. But He is patient, and He is committed, and we are to be patient with one another too. Now, sometimes, thankfully, of course, sometimes we can see this progress. We can see this change, and sometimes people's experience of church often People's experience of church is that it is a loving community, and it's a, church, a generous community, and it's a, a supportive community, and they're so blessed by being a member of that community. I'm sure that's the testimony of many of you here. You thank God for the church. You thank God for this church. But just remember, if or when you ever find that it is difficult and frustrating and painful. Just remember to be patient with one another, just as Jesus is patient with you. So, we see His love for the church expressed in, in, in in what He has done. That's the measure of His love. We see His love expressed in what He is doing to make us holy. You know, that's the purpose of His love. And then I think we see, thirdly, what Christ will do for the church. You know, the goal of His love is to present her to Himself as a radiant church, holy and blameless. You know, that's the the positive picture. This is what the church will one day look like. It will be seen as a radiant church, holy and blameless. And it will be without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. He will bring about the perfection of His church. That's what He's working towards. That's His goal. In the end, the church will be seen to be His beautiful bride. You know, in the book of Revelation, uh, John has this vision of the church uh, at the end. Um, Revelation 19.7, he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And he sees the, the, the holy city coming down out of heaven like a bride dressed for her husband. That's the goal. That's what will happen. That's what's going to take place. One day the church will be seen to be beautiful and glorious and perfect. Uh, a few years ago, there was a man, uh, Michael Griffiths. He was the director of the Overseas Missionary Fellowship at the time. He wrote a little book about the church, and he gave it the title, Cinderella with Amnesia. I always thought it was a very striking title. It's always stuck with me. 
And I suppose what he was trying to get across uh, with that was, was that the church is sometimes a bit like Cinderella. Uh, it's a beautiful young, it's like a beautiful young woman who doesn't actually look like that now. You know, they, the sisters have abused her and mistreated her so that she's, she's dressed in rags and she's dirty and she's tired and she's worn and she's despised and she's rejected. And she herself doesn't even realize that she's beautiful until her, you know, Prince Charming comes along and sees the beauty in her and transforms her into his wonderful, beautiful bride. The church is often like that, Cinderella with amnesia. We forget that in his eyes, we are his beautiful bride. I mean, John Stott uh, writes in his commentary, on earth she is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ. So we need to have this vision too. We need to look at the church with the eyes of faith. We need to see the church as Jesus sees her, as his perfect, wonderful, glorious, beautiful bride. Christ loved the church. And we can see that love demonstrated in, in concrete, real terms by what He has done for the church. He gave Himself up for her. He sacrificed Himself. He gave everything that He had for her. We see it in what He's doing for the church. It's a purposeful love. It's a steadfast love that never gives up, that's patient with us. And and puts up with us throughout with all our faults and feelings. And it's a love which has a, a, this wonderful goal of one day seeing us transformed into His beautiful bride. Now, the challenge for us this morning, for you and me, who are members of His church, and really, I mean, we know, you know here that, I mean, the, the church is not the building. I mean, we know, yes, buildings are important, and you know that here, buildings are very important. They can greatly facilitate the work of the church, or they can hinder the work of the church. But the church, we all know, it's not the building, it's the people. It's not a denomination, it's not an association, it's not an institution, it's the people. It's you and me here this morning. So when I ask the question, and I think this is the challenge, do you love the church? I'm not talking about some, some vague, abstract thing. I think there's a Charlie Brown cartoon, um, uh, I'm not sure if it's Charlie Brown or Snoopy, where he says, you know, uh, I love mankind, it's just people I can't stand. You know, it, it's... It's you and me. Do you love the other members of the church? Some of them may be different from you. 
have a different outlook, have different views. Some of them you may find difficult at a natural level to get along with. Some of them you may find a bit frustrating. Yes, sometimes even you may find some of them to be a bit hurtful. But Christ loved the church. So do you love the church? John Wesley said that uh, every Christian really needs to undergo two conversions, the conversion of his soul and then the conversion of his wallet. Well, I think, you know, every Christian really needs to make two commitments, a commitment to Christ and then a commitment to His church. So, do you love the church? Christ loved the church. Do you have the same outlook, the same heartbeat, the same appreciation for the church that Jesus had? And here's the second question. Well, if you do love the church, what are you prepared to do for the church? I mean, Christ was prepared to give Himself up for the church. Now, I know our circumstances are all different. We have different gifts, different responsibilities, different opportunities. We're at different stages in life. We have different health issues and so on. But according to the gifts that God has given you and the circumstances that you're in, what can you do for the church? So, why bother with church? Why bother with church? Because the church is the bride of Christ. He loved her and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, to present her to Himself as a glorious, radiant, splendid, church.